All right, we're in part seven in a series that we've titled Victory in Spiritual Warfare. We've got one more, and then we'll be armored up. Now, if you've been with us the past five weeks, we've been talking about spiritual battles and specific pieces of this armor and how do we use it in the spiritual realm. In the last five weeks, we talked about the belt and the breastplate and the shoes and the helmet and the shield. They're all for protection. But this one piece that we're going to go over tonight is going to be on the offensive. And that's a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is the six pieces that, and we've been using this slide for, for the last several weeks. And the column on the left is the pieces that we're supposed to have on every day. We have the belt of truth, and that's God's truth. And if we don't have God's truth, all them other five pieces, they're useless. That's the standard. That's the base. That's the foundation. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness. That's that righteousness that covers and protects our heart that was given to us at our day of salvation. We talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace and that our feet should be fitted firmly, allowing us to stand firm against the attacks of Satan and be ready to, to share Jesus, be ready to share the gospel at any given moment. And then Paul kind of switched verbs on us. He said, take up. What does that mean? It means as needed. We talked about the shield of faith and that trusting God even when we can't see him. Last week, we went over the helmet of salvation and that Satan attacks your mind and attacks your thoughts. But if we put that helmet on, that would help us with the attacks of Satan. Now tonight, we're going to tackle the sword of the Spirit, the very last piece that Paul tells us to take up. And that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this is our scripture memory for tonight. It's on your sheet. It comes from Hebrews 4.12. It says, The Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. This is a picture we've been also going over for the past couple of weeks. On the left-hand side, it's the picture of the soldier. He's, he's all armored up. You can see his his belt, his shoes, his breastplate, the shield, the helmet. Now we're going to talk about the sword. And every Roman soldier, whether they were a new soldier or a veteran, was equipped with a sword. And there was two types of swords. There was a long sword called a spatha. That was for battles that was lengthy. It was about three foot in length, long sword, called the spatha. 
And then there was a shorter sword called the gladius. Now, the gladius was really lightweight, easy to handle, really good for hand-to-hand combat. Now, the gladius was about 18 to 24 inches in length. Now, if, if you take your arm from the tip part of your finger to the bend part of your elbow, that's about 20 inches long. So that's about the size of that sword. That's about the size of that gladius sword. That specific sword you can see right here on our picture on the, on the left of our soldier always was on the right-hand side. So for protection, the shield was on the left and the sword was on the right. So that was just a little bit about the characteristics of the sword. Now, what is the sword? You need to understand that the past five pieces, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, was all for protection. Now the sword is going to be the first and only offensive weapon that God's going to give us. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, like I said before, there's two types of swords. There was that large, cumbersome sword that was called the spatha. Remember, it was about three foot in length. And then there was a smaller sword, good for hand-to-hand combat, close battles. That was called the gladius, easy to use, very lightweight. It was double-edged, so it was sharp on both ends. The, point, the tip of it was very sharp. But when Paul tells us to take up the sword, there's a Greek term that he's using right there. It was called the makaira. Now, when Paul says take up the sword, he's referring to that short sword, that gladius, that dagger-type sword that 18 to 24 inch type sword, that sword that's really good for short hand-to-hand combat. And I'm going to tell you in just a second why Paul tells us to take up the shorter sword instead of the spatha, the longer sword. So the gladius, let's talk about the gladius just for a second. The gladius sword, the, very, the shorter sword, was a very precision-oriented sword. It was able to deliver a death blow to the midsection or to the heart. It proved to be more fatal than the longer sword, than than the swap of the longer sword. I told you a while ago it was, it was about 18 to 24 inches, double-edged, really the pointy, the, the, the needle-sharp point. And it was always carried on the right side of the hip. For protection, like I said, the shield was in the left. The sword was in the right. Now, let me 
kind of go over what Tony Evans says about taking up your sword. It says, when Paul instructs us to take up the sword of the Spirit, he's also letting us know that sometimes in this battle, the enemy is so close that it seems that if he is right there in your face, in fact, it can be compared to an opponent trying to block a shot in a basketball game. The opposing player will often stick his body, face, or hands in the offensive player's face so that the offensive player will become disoriented, blocked, or unable to advance. Satan doesn't want you or me to send the ball through the net for two points. So to discourage us, he brings his battle, which is your stronghold, as close to you as possible. Often, that means your battle is being waged within you, within your mind, your will, your emotions, your body. When the battle is that close, you need a powerful weapon, the gladius, to turn the tables on the enemy. So, a couple of examples that's in the Bible that's referring to the gladius. Now, this picture, I'm sorry, it doesn't show up very good, but I'll kind of, kind, uh, kind of tell you what it is. When Jesus was in the garden, when the soldiers came to arrest him, it was the gladius that they used. And you can see the gladius is right there on the right hip of the soldiers when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. When Peter cut off the ear of the slave, of the servant, of the high priest. It was the gladius, not the spatha, not the longer sword that he used to cut off the ear of the slave, of the servant, of the high priest. So that was just a couple of examples that we see in the Bible that the sword, the gladius, was used. So now we know a little bit about the sword. The sword of what now? The sword of the Spirit. Now, we all know, everybody in here knows that we're in a spiritual battle each and every day. And that's why the Holy Spirit should help us within these spiritual battles. So we're in the midst of these battles. We got to remember to reach for the sword. But also, we've got to remember that We've got to make sure that we know that the sword is not our sword. Paul didn't say, take up your sword. He didn't say, take up the church's sword. He didn't say, take up the preacher's sword. He didn't say, take up the sword of good works. What did he say? He said, to take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, today... Christians need to know how to use the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon that we're told that the Spirit uses in the spiritual realm. So let me tell you this right here. We've got to believe in the power of this sword because... There is so much power in this sword that God gave only one weapon, one weapon to use on the offensive side, 
Only one. So that's the power that they have or we have in this sword. Now, we can't fight the Spirit. Okay, I'm, let, me ref, let me go back. We can't fight without the Spirit. But we can try. But I know that we'll be unsuccessful. So there's a couple of things that we've got to make sure that we do here. We've got to make sure that the Holy Spirit guides us. And He will, and He'll guide us in truth. John 14, 26. Let me tell you what that says. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will guide your feelings. He will guide your thoughts. He'll guide your plans. He'll guide your desires. He'll guide your whole life. He lives inside of me. He lives inside of us. He's going to lead you. All you have to do is follow him. Also, we've got to learn to listen and live through the Holy Spirit. Psalm 143.10 says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. One of the most important things that we need to do is to learn and listen and live through the Holy Spirit. Study God's Word. Meditate on it. And allow Him and let Him lead your life. So now we know the sword of the Spirit. Let's finish the rest of this, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, we have come full circle now. If you remember to the very first piece of armor that we put on, it was the belt of truth. Now the very last piece of armor that we are to put on is the Word of God. It's, it's God's truth that's going to protect us as we put on the belt, but it's, it's God's Word that's going to defend us as we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, to understand fully what the Word of God is, there are three terms. There are three main Greek terms that we're going to look at that defines the word, word. And the first term that we're going to look at is graphe. Now, graphe is the physical copy of the Bible. It's the writings. Now, when you attend church, when you attend church here, and we are told to get our Bibles out and turn to a specific page or a specific chapter, we're getting the graphe out. Graphe is the physical copy. It's the 66 books in the Bible, the actual physical copy of the Bible. But when Paul tells us to take up the sword which is the Word of God. In Ephesians 6, he's not telling us to take up the graphe. 
So that's one Greek term that kind of translates to the word, word. The second one is called logos. Now, logos means message. It means the sayings of God. It means the meanings of the words. When we read the Bible, attend a Bible study, or hear a sermon that explains the meaning of the text being referenced, you are experiencing interacting with the word logos. You started with a graphe. Now you're in, interacting with the word logos. And a good illustration of Logos comes from John 1.1. It says, in the Word, or I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Logos. So, Logos is more than just words on a paper, though. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Logos is alive and the Logos is active. When we allow the Logos of God, when we allow the Word of God to penetrate and to take deep root within us, and we meditate on this fully and fully understand God's Word and God's truth, that's when we continue to grow. That's when we grow spiritually. So we've got to know that the Logos is alive and active. And if we don't know that, this weapon that we have, the sword, is useless. But Paul doesn't use the word Logos in Ephesians 6 to go over the Word of God. He uses the Greek term Rima. He uses the Greek term rima, and rima means the spoken word. Rima means what is declared. Rima means the saying of God. Rima means the utterance of God. Let me read what Tony Evans says about rima. He, he says... A person could own a Bible factory and publish thousands of Bibles every day and never have the power of the sword. A person could have great understanding of the message in the Scriptures, but still not utilize the power of the sword against the enemy. It's not until we read the written word, understand its message, and specifically apply that message to a given situation that we begin to utilize the word rima. So rima means the spoken word. The sword of the spirit specifically refers to the rima of God. But we see a lot of Christians today live defeated lives because they have not graduated from the graphe to the logos to the rima. And you've got to know that 
bringing your Bible just to simply to church isn't the same thing as the Word of God. You can try to understand a sermon, attend Bible studies, and take notes on what you've learned without ever using that knowledge to battle the enemy. Now, Evans also says this about the Rima. Have you ever heard, or I'm sorry, have you ever read a certain passage in the Bible so many times through the years that you feel you know it by heart? And then one day, as you turn to that passage, thinking you already know everything in it, it's as if God takes a yellow highlighter and focuses your eyes on one verse, one word, one principle, or one truth. Suddenly, that familiar passage is speaking directly to your situation you are facing. That is a rhema word. That is God speaking to you through the utterance. That is God speaking to you through the spoken word of his word. Now, you need to hear God speak and take that truth straight to the heart of Satan and straight to the heart of those demons. Now, Hebrews 4.12, let me read that. And it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and under the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and attention of the hearts. The difference between a material sword and a spiritual sword a material sword pierces the body. A spiritual sword pierces the heart. A material sword, as you use it, gets duller and duller and duller. But a spiritual sword, as you use it, gets sharper and sharper and sharper every time that you use it. Now, God has given us a specific weapon to be used in hand-to-hand combat against the enemy. The Bible says that these swords are found within this cover, cover to cover, of this book. All we have to do is use them. Now, as we're wrapping things up, we know that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, how do we take it up? How do we take up the sword of the Spirit? Now, Satan has been trying to dull the sword of God's word from the very beginning. We can see all the way back from the, the Adam and Eve in Genesis. He uses the same tactic with us as he did with them. And it all centers on the word of God. If you remember, Satan led a question that says, Did God really say? Well, as soon as you say, well, God says this, and start jabbing your sword at Satan and jabbing your sword directly into the midsection, directly into the heart, guess what he's going to do? He's going he's to take off running because Satan is unable to stand against the powerful force of the spoken word of God, of the utterance word of God. Now, Jesus, we're going to see three tests 
in Matthew 4. Jesus is going to give us the perfect example of how to take up the sword, how he took up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Test number one comes out of Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Matthew 4, the first 11 verses, we see that Satan's temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, verse 1 and 1 through 4 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see that test number one. Satan says to satisfy your hunger, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus do? He took out his sword. He took out his sword and he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So test one for him is complete. Test two comes with this. In Matthew 4, 5 through 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him in verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to your test. Now, Satan did something a little bit different on this one. If you notice, he quoted Scripture. And that Scripture comes from Psalm 91, 11, and 12. And it says this right here. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. But Satan left a couple of words out. He left all of your ways out of that. And he'll do that. He knows Scripture. And he'll misquote it just to try to deceive you. That's what he does. So test two is complete. Now test three is coming from Matthew 4, 8 through 10. And it says, verse 8 says, Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus didn't come after a long... He wasn't debating Satan for a long time. He just took up his sword, took out his sword, and he said, It is written... And what did Satan do in verse 11? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, as we wrap things up, there's a couple of things. How do we take up this sword? If you want victory, you've got to read, and you've got to study, and you've got to memorize, and you've got to meditate the graphe. 
which is the entire Bible. You've got to dwell on it and discern the Logos. And then you've got to actually deliver that blow with the Rema word. And if you do all that, you've taken up the sword. You've taken up the Spirit, taken up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in James 4, 7, what does it say? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We're going to skip next Sunday. The following in two weeks, we're going to put all this thing together. So now we've studied the six pieces of the armor of God. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and now the sword. And in two weeks, we're going to put everything together for our last session. It's 545. We'll break for a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back and watch the video. But the Greek word used here is the word for dagger. It's that short sword for up-close, in-your-face battle. This is when the enemy has come right at you. This is when he's digging at you, and there's no escape because he has encompassed you. And you must get to him quickly and definitively and decisively. This is the sword that Jesus used in the wilderness when he was under the attack against the devil. It is the sword that the Spirit uses for you to stab the enemy and bring a death blow to his attempts to defeat you when he has come against you with full force. Let's learn about this sword and how you can stab the enemy and experience spiritual victory. verse 17 and gives the last piece of the armor but he gives you the last piece right now in verse 17 he says and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God remember the verb take means pick up as needed the last three of the armors use that verb. The first three uses the verb to be. That is, this is the state you should always be in. But these last three deals with the verb to take. Pick up as needed or as appropriate. He says, I want you to pick up the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. This is very important because this is the only offensive piece of weapon in the arsenal. Everything else is designed to hold you steady from what the enemy is seeking to do in the evil day. But now in this last one, he has put a weapon in your hand. 
The soldier has two types of swords in the Roman army. The long sword, the, the sword that allows you to fight at a distance because it is extended. But the Greek word for sword here is not the word for the long sword, like the swashbuckling kind of sword that you would see in movies and on television. The Greek word sword here is the word dagger. It was approximately an, an 18 inch dagger. The dagger was used for up close fighting, in your face fighting. The dagger was used when you were in hand-to-hand -hand combat and your enemy was right up close. So the word for sword here, the Greek word for sword is the word for dagger and the dagger was needle sharp. It was used for giving a death blow because the enemy is up on you. Have, has, the, has the enemy ever been up on you, on you, on you? See, in a general way, we know the devil and his emissaries are like always there. But sometime they're up in your grill. They have confronted you and it is your evil day. Because he talks about this is the evil day. This is, uh, you're under attack. The attack is, is, is creating consternation and conflict and chaos. It's like somebody getting up in your face. Well, the dagger was for that kind of battle. He says, I'm going to give you the sword for the up-close, in-your-face battle. He says it is the sword of the Spirit. He says the sword of the Spirit. It is the tool that the Spirit uses. But here's the most important thing. It is the only tool he uses. It is the Spirit's offensive weapon. It is the tool he uses in the spiritual realm. It is the tool he uses to address what's happening in the invisible world for what's in your face in the visible world. He says it is the sword of the Spirit. It is what the Spirit uses to deal with what is causing you consternation in the world in which you live that comes from the invisible world that you do not see. Now, if you don't believe it's coming from the invisible world, you won't use this sword. You'll do like Moses and Peter. When Moses tried to deliver Israel, he killed the Egyptian. Peter wanted to deliver Jesus, he cut off the servant's ear. 
He pulled out his sword and he sliced the servant's ear off in order to protect Jesus. Jesus had to, God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, had to instruct both of them, I don't need that. I, I, I don't need your human methodology, human approach, human perspective, human orientation to fight a spiritual battle. One of the reasons why so many of us so often are losing our battles is we go to human. And once you go to human, that's not a sword the spirit uses. He doesn't use that. He doesn't use that sword. When you choose to use a man-made method for a spiritually derived cause, you have no support from God in your fight. That's why the Bible says that the wrath of man does not accomplish the purposes of God. In other words, your human anger, that's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will replay. I've got my own approach and your method is not my method. My ways are not your ways. I don't handle it like you handle it. In the spiritual realm, the only tool that the Spirit of God uses is this dagger. And it is needle sharp. It is because we have not believed in the power of the dagger and we know we don't believe it because we don't use it. That we don't see the enemy being sliced and diced. He says this sword, this sword is what the spirit of God will use in your battle, conflict, evil day. And it is the only one in the arsenal. Maybe it's the only one you have because it's the only one you need. What is this sword? He says, which is the word of God. Which is the word of God. So he tells you that the spirit has a sword that he has given to us to use in the battle. The spirit, because it's a sword that belongs to the spirit, it's just put in your hand to use. And he says this sword is the word of God. Now let me give you three words for the word of God so that you can understand how this works because we want you to use the sword correctly. Graphe, Logos, and Ramus. Rhema. Graphe. That is the Greek word for the writings. Graphe means the writings. Scripture is called in the Bible Graphe, the writings. That's the book, 
the, the book. This is, this is the word of God, but it's the word of God graphe. In other words, as I sit it down there on the podium, as you hold the book in your hand, you are holding graphe. You're holding 66 books and the words that make them up that compose the canon of scripture. Whether you have it on your shelf at home, whether you have it on your coffee table, whether you have a, want a copy in your car, whether it was tucked under your arms when you walked in the church, you came in with graphe. You came in with the book. You came in with the word of God in written form. He says, God gives the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, but the Greek word is not graphe. This is graphe. This is, this is the written book, and it is the Bible. But when he talks about the Spirit's use, he's not talking about you walking around with a Bible in your hand or having a Bible in your car. Because, see, some people use the Bible as the graphe like a rabbit's foot. You see folk got crosses dangling from their rearview mirror like that's supposed to stop an accident or something or keep a, that's magic. Uh, that's magic. Well, what some people do is sanctify their car by putting a graphe in it. They have a graphe in the glove compartment uh, like that's going to be magic or somehow their living room going to get holy because there's a Bible on the coffee table. That's graphe. Now, don't get me wrong, it is the Bible, it is the Word of God, but that's not what the Spirit's using. There is the Logos. For example, in St. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Now, the Logos goes further than the Graphe. The Graphe is the book written that has been written, the Logos is the message of the book. It is, it is its message content. This is the Bible when you don't read it, when you do read it, it is the Bible because it is the Bible. Its message is the Logos. So when you come to church and you hear a sermon preached and you understand what the passage says, you've just experienced the Logos. Because now you've gotten the message of the Graphe. So the content has now been clarified to you and you understand. Now, Logos is very powerful, but that's not the word in verse 17. He doesn't say the sword of the spirit, which is the graphe of God. He doesn't say the sword of the spirit, which is the uh, logos of God. He says the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. His Greek word is rhema. Now we'll explain how this ties together in a minute. But his Greek word is rhema. Now rhema means utterance or words spoken or declared. 
It is the declaration of the Logos that you got from the Graphe. The Graphe is the book. The Logos is the message. The Rhema is the utterance. The speech. The spokenness of the message. He says the sword that the Spirit uses is the rhema of God. Here it is. The graphe, the book, gives you the logos, the message, but it is the rhema that plunges in and draws blood. It is the rhema that the Spirit uses. So many of us are not seeing the power of the Spirit because we haven't graduated to the rhema. We're either stuck at graphe, others of us, perhaps most of us, we come to understand the logos, the message. We want to understand the sermon. We want to understand the truth. We want to understand its message. We may be inspired by it. We're educated by it, oriented by it. And so we now understand something we did not previously understand from the graphe that now has become logos in our minds and understanding. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, when the enemy is all up in your grill, you need more than graphe and logos, you need rhema. You need the logos from the graphe uttered. Spoken or declared. Why do you want to rhema the Logos? Because you have to understand this for, to, 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 to fully get this. Why do you want to rhema, utter, declare, speak the Logos, the message? Because of the intrinsic nature of the Logos. Turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll come back, back to Rhema in a minute, but I want you to understand it because what you are doing the Rhema on is the Logos. To get the Logos, you bring the Graphe. So I go to the Graphe, the writings, to get the message, but I don't get the message to say I enjoy church. I get the message so when I need Rhema. In Hebrews chapter 4, he speaks about the Logos, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 12. For the word, Logos of God, the Logos of God, watch this now, is living. When you get the message, not when you carry the book, but when you get the message that is a living message. It is not just information. It is alive. The Logos of God is alive. And it is active. It is not only alive, it has energy behind it. You know, it's got a force field. He says the Logos of God is living and active 
and sharper than any two-edged sword. Watch this now. He says the Logos of God is sharper than a sword whose blades on both sides have been sharpened. In other words, it can cut you either way. You can go this way and it'll cut you. You can go that way and it'll cut you because on both sides it's sharp. I know, you got to follow me here. He says the Logos of God. Okay, but I, I know what you're thinking. You say, but wait a minute. You just said it a minute ago that the sword of the Spirit is the rhema. Yes. The sword of the Spirit is the rhema when he's going to use it. But I'm trying to tell you what he uses when he uses it. He uses it when it's rhema. It's alive when it's logos. So by the time it hits rhema, if you got logos, you got a sword with life in it. Because he says the logos of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Now, why do you need to know that the Logos of God can get down to spirit and soul? Because your spirit and soul is your invisible world. That, that's the invisible world. Your visible world is the physical, your body. Your invisible world, the world where you truly live, is made up of soul, your personality, and it's made up of spirit, the God presence in you. He says, this thing is so sharp that it can slice the invisible realm. Separating, separating spirit and soul. Now why does, why does God want to use the Logos, the message, to separate your spirit from your soul? Because your soul gets in the way of the spirit. Your personality, how you are raised, your orientation, your, your thought, your perspective keeps getting in God's way. So God's got to slice you out of the way so his spirit can break through. See, we have so intertwined our souls with God's spirit that we keep getting in God's way. So God wants the Logos to get you out the way. And he wants to get you out the way. And he says the only thing that can do that is the message of God. So when you come and you hear the message, you hear the content of the word, and it dawns on you that what you thought and what God says isn't the same. You just got sliced and diced. When you come and you hear the word of God and you discover that your perspective, what mama taught you, what daddy taught you, disagrees with what God says, and it dawns on you, you had all this stuff mixed up, and you had God's name all up in your soul. When God it had nothing to do with how you were thinking and how you were functioning and how you were operating, you got sliced and diced. He said it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide. It is piercing. It, it is penetrating down to the invisible level of joints and marrow and it is able to discern, judge. It is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, see, see here's the problem with the word. With the, with the Logos. The problem with the Logos is it not only attacks what you do, it attacks what you think. He says it gets down to what you were thinking. It gets down to the thoughts 
And it goes deeper than the thought. It goes to the intent. Not only what you were thinking, but what you were thinking about what you were thinking. Uh, let's put it another way. The word of God's goal, Logos, is to expose. It is to expose. It is God's MRI machine. It is God's x-ray machine. If all you get when you come to church is what you hear in your external ear, all you did was open up graphe. You opened up graphe and somebody told you something. When the truth hits you, you ran into Logos. You ran into Logos because the message is given. Jesus is called the Logos in John 1 because he was God's messenger. He came to present God to human beings. He was the deliverer of the message. He says that the word of God, the Logos, penetrates with power. When the message is given, when you grab the message and accept it, you now have understanding. You say, oh, that's what that says and that's what that means. Then what happens? He says, the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. Now he brings in rhema. Rhema is the word of God uttered or used. Graphe is the writings. It's, it's, it's just been written. Logos is the message of what's been written. Rhema is the use of the message. When you pull out rhema, you just pulled out the spirit because the sword is the sword of the spirit. When you pull out rhema, that is when the word that you have becomes the message that you deliver in short battle conflict when it's all up in your face. You have now given something the spirit uses. If you're satisfied with graphe, just having a Bible in your car, you know, on your kitchen table, in your bookshelf, or under your arm, that's not going to help you in close-up, up-front battle. If you only have logos coming to church, hearing the sermon, even understanding the message, that message is true, that message is alive, that message is active, that message works in the spiritual realm, but in close-up battle, when hell breaks through in your life, the evil day, he says what the Spirit wants you to use now is not just the, the understanding tapes you've been listening to or radio broadcasts you've been listening to. It now has to do with a sword you use a dagger you use, 
and he calls that the rhema of God, the utterance of God. Okay. In the beginning, God said, said, let there be light. God spoke. And the Bible says, and it was so. In other words, the spoken word had within it the power to do what the spoken word declared would be done. He, God spoke it and what he said happened. And it happened exactly like he spoke it, but watch this, it didn't happen until he spoke it. God didn't just think, world, 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 coming to being, coming to being, uh-uh. He declared it. And when he declared, let there be light, bam, there was light. Because there was power in the word used. Not just God even having the word known. God knows it all, but he used what he knew. The spoken word had power in it to produce what the spoken word called for. It was a dagger used. That is, it was, it was what the Spirit, and how do we know that the Spirit had something to do with it? Because it says that when, uh, when God was ready to create, the Spirit of God was hovering over, ready to move when it heard the spoken word. The, the, the Spirit of God was just hovering over, just biding his time, saying to the Father, as soon as you talk, I'm ready to act. I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out. Soon as you say something, I'ma do something, but I'm waiting on you, Father, because I can't do something till you say something. But when you say something, whatever you say, I'ma do, because you will have given me what I need to pull it off. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, what did the devil do? Mess with that word. He said, well, half God said, half God said, let's talk about what God said because he knew if he could mess up the use of the word, he would mess up their power and he could now take control because he not heard of your words. In fact, the devil loves to hear you say, well, I think, he loves to hear you say, well, my opinion is. He loves to hear you say, well, my daddy told me. He loves to hear you say, this is what my mama taught me. He loves to hear you say, well, all my friends say. He loves that because he knows there is no power. He knows there is no power in that. He knows that sword is dull on both sides. He knows that ain't going to do anything for, with him. That ain't going to do it. He loves for you to go look at Oprah and find out what Oprah says and, and, and find out what this group says and find out what that group says and find out, that he look at all the news show and find out everything. He loves that because he knows there's no power in that. He's scared of that because he knows the spirit is not in it. But when you go rhema, when you go rhema, when you take the logos and use the logos, he's allergic to, <laughs> he's allergic to that. He says, 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the rhema of God. The utterance of the Logos that you got from the graphe. When you take the Bible, get the message, and use the message as uttered, the enemy in your face can't handle that. Look at Matthew chapter 4 real quick. Matthew chapter 4. That's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 4. Then Jesus, verse 1, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, watch this now. The Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted by the devil. And the tempter came to him, verse 3, and said to him, if, it's called a first class condition in the Greek, which means since, because Jesus, the devil knows who Jesus is, since you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. Okay? Now we read at the end of verse 2, Jesus is hungry. So where does the devil meet Jesus? He meets Jesus at the point of his problem. Jesus is struggling because he's hungry. He's struggling for physical food. He's hungry. So the devil shows up at a specific time to address a specific need, a legitimate need in his life that he is now hungry. So what does he offer? He offers Operation Breadbasket. He offers him a feeding program. He says, look, you're the son of God. You can do whatever you want to do. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Jesus says, it is written. No, he didn't. Guess what Jesus doesn't do? Get into a long meeting. He says, why don't we have a three-hour meeting to discuss this? Get into a long conversation. He doesn't go get into a long dialogue or diatribe. He doesn't get all that. He says, um, it's written. It's written. Now, watch this. The living word. The Bible calls Jesus the living word. Okay, he's the living word. If the living word needed to use the written word to deal with the enemy of the word, then how much more you and I who have written no word need to use that same word against the enemy of the word? What makes you think you better than Jesus? Jesus wouldn't even go at the devil based on what he thought. And he had perfect thinking. He wouldn't go after the devil based on who, who said what and what. He didn't even say, well, 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 this is my, what my daddy taught me. He said, let me tell you what the graphe says. But when he tells him what the graphe says, he tells him what the graphe says based on Logos because he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. So guess what? Jesus is in the New Testament, but he reaches back to the Old Testament to a passage that dealt with the situation he was currently facing in the New Testament. 
because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's hungry. The devil says, I've got a feeding program. Jesus goes into his computer. He Googles it. Feeding program, feeding program, feeding program, feeding program. Bing! He hits feeding program in Deuteronomy 8. Well, Israel is crossing the wilderness and they are hungry and they need a feeding program. So when he Googled feeding program, it took him back to Deuteronomy 8 and it told him when they were crossing the desert and they were hungry that they called on God and he ran down, he rained down cornflakes from above called manna. The Hebrew word manna means what is it or if you're urban, what it is. And it had to do with cornflakes from above. He rained down cornflakes from above. In other words, God met them in their hunger through a supernatural means. The devil was offering to solve the problem through a satanic means. God is offering to solve it his way. The devil was offering to solve it his way. Both were trying to address a legitimate need. The issue is not, is my need legitimate? The issue is, who's giving me the advice as to how to address it? Jesus Christ Googled down feeding program, ran to Deuteronomy 8 and say, devil, let me tell you what God said about this situation. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but man also lives by where it came from. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When he heard what was written, he couldn't handle that anymore. He went to another subject. He then takes him to the top of the temple and says, jump off, because then everybody will know you're Messiah when you hit the ground like Superman, Spider-Man, or Batman. They will see that that jump didn't kill you, and they will all know you are the Son of God. Guess what Jesus says? It is written again. He says, it is written you shall not, verse 7, put the Lord God to the test. He was saying, Satan was saying, test God. God said, don't test me. He said, Satan, this is what God told me to tell you about you telling me right now to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Then he, verse 8, he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the world and their glory. He took him. Please notice, he took him. He took him. Do you know sometimes God will let the devil take you? It took him. He took him. God let the devil take Jesus, and Jesus goes along. The God let the devil take him. He took him. He said, now I give you all this stuff, all this money, all this glory, all this power, all this fame. I'm going to give all this stuff to you if you do really what I was after all the time. Get on a knee and worship me. If you will just recognize me as Lord of your life, I'm going to give you the whole world. I'm going to give you the whole world, Jesus. Jesus said after this, after he took him, Jesus said, verse 10, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan said, worship me. Jesus Googled worship. Bing, okay? You shall worship the Lord your God. But he didn't just study the Bible and know what it said. He opened up his mouth and said what it said. He told the devil, devil, let me tell you what God just said about what you're telling me. And when he told the devil this, the Bible says that the devil, verse 11, left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. The devil left him. Oh, oh, I hope you get this. God likes baseball. Three strikes you out. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. The devil couldn't handle more than three strikes and the devil was gone. You say, why won't the devil leave me alone? Because he know you ain't gonna ever say it is written. 
He knows you're never going to bring that up. He knows you're going to start talking about my neighbor, my family, my friends, my, my thinking, my TV, my reading, my education. He knows you're never going to go and Google anything about what is written. Or if you do, you're never going to use it. So he doesn't have to fear you. He can hang out with you all day. Because he knows that you will not use the one tool that the Spirit does use to give you victory in the spiritual realm. In other words, you read the graphe so you can understand the locust so you can use the rhema. You read the graphe so you can understand the locust, uh, logos, so you can use the rhema. It is to be used, not only to be read, not only to be understood, it is to be used. And guess who you're supposed to use it on? You're supposed to use it on the enemy or any of his reps. Now you'll see the power of the word. Now you'll see the power of the word. Because when that word gets pushed down into the spiritual realm, when it gets driven down into the spiritual realm and used in that realm, it is transforming. Thank you, Brother Shane, for sharing that with us tonight, the first part. Of course, we enjoy hearing the second with the video. And, you know, your Bible is so important, but it really doesn't mean much if we just carry it around with us. And it has uh, more use than that. And so he said the sword is the word of God. The graphe is the writings. And the Logos is the message, that's the content. The Rima is the utterance of God. It's the message, the utterance of God and what God has. And then